0: Guys turn with me to Acts chapter 5. We're going to finish up the chapter today. As you guys turn there, Acts chapter 5, we're starting in verse 33. Just to give us a quick run up to where we were, or where we've been, I should say, we've witnessed that the model of the Acts church to me is, a, is the way we should all be, right? It's the model that God has for the church still. And what is that model? Well, we see it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 44, where we see this, it says they were continuing, continuing steadfastly in the word of God. They were in the word, man. What word? Well, at that time, the Old Testament. That's all they had. But what else were they in? They were in the words of the apostles, the things that the apostles were saying. Hey, man, this is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus said, right? It was written down later, but it doesn't mean they weren't talking about it. It's exactly what they were talking about. They were making the Old Testament come to life Through Jesus. They were fellowshipping, right? And old folks get to be like the people that are like, man, I have no idea what's next. And I'm like, I want to know what's going on. And how do I help these crazy kids that I don't understand anymore, right? And all this stuff. We get to have those conversations. You know when they happen best? When old folks get together with young folks. When young folks get over themselves and realize they don't know everything and go talk to some old folks. Like there's a lot of cool stuff that can happen in church if we let it happen. Hanging out, fellowshipping together. I love that we do have a church that does that, by the way. We do. I love that. I just wanted to continue. What was the other thing they did? Breaking bread together. That was communion, but it was also just eating. What better way to hang out than to stuff your face with food? They just hung out, man. They hung out. They ate together. They took communion together. They spent time communing with Jesus together. They were people of prayer they were people of prayer. They wanted to know, man, God, what do you have? Holy Spirit, how do you want us to move? What direction do you have for us to take? How do we minister well to our friends, our family, and our coworkers? At this point, for this church, they didn't have many coworkers because a lot of them got fired from their jobs, right? Most of them didn't have much family or friends. So they were just praying, man, Lord, what do we have to do? What do you have for us to do? And then finally, you guys, they were trusting the Holy Spirit to guide them in all of it. They were not doing any of this in their own power. That is the first century church, and I believe that should be us. Not just us, every church, his church. Amen? Amen? You guys, the more the church was doing this, the more we saw God was faithful to bring many to himself through that church. Same thing here. I don't think anything's changed. God is the perfect God. When he makes a plan, he doesn't have to be like, pivot, need to do something different. No, he's like, I do what I do because I'm God we just need to get in line with what he's doing. Amen? And so, man, that's what was happening. And here's the deal. What happened whenever all that stuff was happening, when all this good stuff was going down, opposition rose up. You guys, this opposition came from the world around them. They lost their jobs. They were shunned by family. They lost friends. We also saw opposition from those in power that really (laughs) should have been the number one people that were cheerleading them and behind them, but they were not, the religious leaders. The religious leaders didn't like it. The political leaders didn't like it. In the Jewish context, that was kind of an intertwined group. But the reality is, is anyone that had any amount of power and authority didn't like the power and authority that Jesus had, and so they didn't like what the church was doing either. You guys, even as we dig through the rest of the other New Testament books, we see That these two powerful groups pretty much were always in opposition to the work of Jesus. So, what am I trying to say? I'm saying this there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun, you guys. We see a very similar world today than was there, that was then too, you guys. Maybe we don't see quite the level of opposition here in America that we see elsewhere in the world, but the reality is you realize that we are the anomaly, it's not the other way around. You guys, the rest of the world, I've said it before, these Jewish believers, the clearest and cleanest picture of what they endured is like a Muslim person. It's like those 200 people that supposedly had a vision of who Jesus was in a dream, which, by the way, happens actually a lot in Iran and Iraq and all these places in the Middle East. People are dreaming about who Jesus is and then going and finding someone that they either know as a Christian or think they might be a Christian. And they're saying, I had this guy in a dream who said he was Jesus, And there are times, I've read stories, again, I don't know any of these firsthand, but from what I understand, there are times that even Jesus says, go talk to so-and-so who was a closet Christian, right? He was trying to be quiet and and play it under under the radar to try and keep himself safe. And God used this person having a dream to say like, dude, get about it. Get about the business of what you're supposed to be doing, church, talking about me, spreading the good news. And so God uses that other person to be like, you came to me? Yeah, I'm going to tell you. Mm -hmm. So guys, it's happening all over the world. There's nothing new under the sun. But I can tell you this. I don't think we're very far away from here in America seeing more opposition. Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing it already. I don't see it getting better. I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I just don't. I don't know. The book of Revelation ends on a high note (laughs) when Christ comes back. Not a high note before then. Last week, you guys, we left the apostles standing before the Sanhedrin. You guys remember, they were released from jail by an angel. You know, that thing that the Sanhedrin, none of the Sadducees actually believed in. (laughs) They were released by that thing they didn't believe in. And went right back to doing what got them arrested before. Why? Because the angel said, man, I'm letting you out from jail not to go take a nap and get ready and like whatever and like chill out and go hide. No, I'm getting you out of jail so you can go right back to doing what you were doing to begin with we talked a lot about that. And what happened? The religious leaders were ticked off. No one listened to their warnings, right? They had already warned Peter and John. They were like, dude, y'all need to stop talking about Jesus. You need to stop talking and preaching about Jesus. We killed the guy. He was meant to stay dead. I don't want to hear about it. He needs to go. Because guess what else the Sadducees didn't believe in? Resurrection. Do you understand why this ticked off the Sadducees so much? Peter, at that point, gave this clear gospel message to the religious leaders. A second time, he said, "Man, he's like, here it is. You did put Jesus on the cross. You did kill Jesus. You did. We all did, guys. We can't look at the Sadducees and the religious leaders and be like, I can't believe they did that. You did too. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. My sin put Jesus on the cross. If we, if Jesus came back today, I would be probably the number one person. Well, I don't know. Steve would argue with me and say that he was, but." We would, we would all be there being like, oh, man, we're screwed up. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. But I know you got to do that for me, too. Thank God he did it then, once for all. Amen? Yeah. But the reality is, here, we see Peter. And you, if you weren't here for that, you can go back and read chapter 5. But he goes in and he says, man, like, repent. Stop walking in this. Stop being in opposition to the thing God's doing. And stop and turn around and walk the other way. Repent. You guys, I I gotta tell you this. This was and still is the most loving thing any Christian could ever do for another person is to tell them, you are a sinner, you need Jesus. Repent. Those words have become these swear words in people's mouths almost to the world, but they're the most loving words we could ever speak. Now, I would encourage you, don't go beat them over the head with the Bible and be like, repent, (laughs) repent, you loser, you're an idiot unless they maybe need that. I don't know if the Holy Spirit's directing you, maybe, but I highly doubt he's going to do that. Why? Because we're supposed to come in love, speak the truth in love. So what words are you going to use? I don't know. Man, you're screwed up. That's what I tend to say to people. You're screwed up. You're a messed up human, right? And if they're that pompous that they're like, man, no, I'm I'm actually really, really good. I'm like, dude, you are so full of pride. That's messed up. Let's go back to the beginning. You're a messed up human being, (laughs) Right? There's no way that people can really look at their own life and not see that they're screwed screwed up people. Whenever you deal with the fact that they're screwed up, then you can be like, man, there's a way out of that. Not that you're going to be any less screwed up, but that Jesus is going to grow you up into the person that he wants you to be. And you have freedom from your screw-ups. You have freedom to walk in his grace and mercy in spite of your screw-ups. And what you'll find is not through your own power, but through the power of the Spirit, you end up becoming a person that screws up less in some areas. I wish I could say all areas, don't you? But in some areas, man, God's taking it away. I'm like, man, I don't do that anymore. I don't drop F-bombs like I used to, right? And that took a little while, but now I just don't really do it, right? Man, that's awesome. Man, if he would just take away everything, it'd be awesome, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He lets us walk it out, man. It's called sanctification. We're walking it out. So let's read now. How did the religious leaders receive this loving, amazing word from Peter? Starting in verse 33, it says this. It says, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Mm. Verse 34. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. I wanna stop there for just a second. So here's the deal, you guys. What was their reaction? Well, let's go through it. How dare you talk to us that way? Who the heck do you think you are? That's basically was their reaction, right? We don't have anything to repent of. We're the religious leaders. We've got it figured out. We do these 613 laws a thousand times better than you idiots. And by the way, I'm not using words that they didn't use. We've talked about this. What did they call the disciples? Illiterate idiots. In the Greek, it's literally. Grammatoi, illiterate. Idiota, idiot. (laughs) They basically were saying, like, how dare you illiterate idiots speak to your betters that way? How dare you? Who do you think you are? Have you done any street evangelism here in New England? It's amazing. That's pretty much the response you get a lot of times, right? You do. I'm all set, which is just a kind way of being like, you're a moron. Leave me alone, right? I love that response because there's a great segue to that if you ever get that. I love it. Is that, oh, so you do know Jesus because that is literally the only way eternally you're all set. And then they are like, well, I mean, uh, you know, and I'm like, well, if you don't know Jesus, you're not all set at all. And then we try to get into a conversation. And usually that ends with a finger or f you and then they walk away and that's okay. We're called the scatter seed in love, right? So, and thank God, man, that is like rare. It's not all the time, but it does happen from time to time. We're gonna come across this stuff, you guys. We can't be so phased by someone's reaction to the truth of God's word. We can't be, we shouldn't be. You guys, there is nothing new under the sun. Nothing's changed. And here in New England, listen, I've had the privilege from being in the military of living all over the world, of living all over this country. And I got to say, New England is its own special head case comparative to everywhere else. And I kind of like it because being from PA, we're like way harder than most New Englanders, but but we're just snarkier and meaner than most New Englanders. New Englanders try to be kind, but they're super rude in the process, which I find amusing because I'm like, just be rude. Just let it rip, man. That's the language I speak. That's what I grew up on. But pride and arrogance existed then and pride and arrogance exists now. Here's the truth, though. We don't stand there and be like, oh, you pride, arrogant fool. No, quite the opposite. We pray for them. We love them, not because we're so full of our own pride. If that's the case, then who are we? No, we do it because we're like, man, I'm prideful. I can be arrogant too. I know who I am. I know who I am. The only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that a Christian recognizes they're screwed up and has the way to salvation. We have the bread. We're beggars that know where the bread is. That's what Spurgeon says. We're supposed to be bringing other people some bread. Look, I got some good bread. Tasty. It's baked fresh every day for you. Jesus, it's brand new every morning. Man, his mercies are new. It's a good bread. Eat it. Eat it. Please don't keep starving yourself thinking you're going to get somewhere on your own. So we should never walk in like some arrogant way. It should always be with humility, but you guys, nothing's changed. Here's Peter, this humble little fisherman being like, guys, you you missed it. You're the one. You guys need to own your own mistake and own your faults and put it at the foot of the cross and then let it be. Walk away from it. Truth is, you guys, we see that the Sanhedrin really couldn't argue with them on the basis of truth. Why? Because they knew deep down that they were responsible for hanging Jesus on the cross. They knew it. Deep, deep down, they knew it. I mean, seriously, probably most of the people, these 70 guys that were in the Sanhedrin, were standing in the court of Pilate saying, crucify him. I mean, seriously, you don't get more guilty than that. They also knew this. They knew that people were being genuinely healed. The lame man that they had passed by as many times as everybody else, that Peter and John just healed a couple days prior or a week prior. That he was in jumping around that The first time they got arrested They knew people were being healed They knew it They knew that there was obviously something happening They knew that Listen you guys We were at a church of 10,000 in a few weeks You guys Do you understand that Dover, New Hampshire Would know something is happening In God's church If us and Restoration and Dover Baptist And all these churches just blew up In a couple weeks That'd be awesome You know why that would be awesome? Because we would be a hot mess and we would need the Holy Spirit to start working, man, just like they did, right? I would love for that to happen. But the truth is, you guys, they couldn't argue on the basis of truth because the truth was they knew all the things that were being said and all the stuff that they saw happening, that was the truth. So what did they resort to? The only thing they had left, threats, beatings, and killing them guess what's happening all over the world today? Why do Muslims don't, why do they not really bother arguing typically, the ones that really are trying their best to follow the Quran? Because the Quran makes it clear, kill an infidel. I'm thankful there's plenty of people that are kind of like the lukewarm Christians in the Muslim world that don't really know their own scriptures, and so they're not out killing everybody. But the truth is, I've read big chunks of the Quran as part of my degree. It's not, it's not a, Friendly book. But you guys, when the world realizes what the truth is or they don't want to admit the truth, the only thing they have left is threats, beating, and killing. That's really it. And I'm thankful that here in America our laws and I don't know what else keeps people from doing too many beatings, although that seems to be on the rise. Too many killings, although that seems to be on the rise. Threats? Who cares? Who cares? they've been happening and will keep happening. But before the killing could happen, before they just took them all out and stoned them all to death, a level head prevailed. This respected member of the Jewish council basically was like, time out, kick them out. And we're going to talk just a couple seconds about this. Gamaliel, he was a Pharisee. You guys, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sadducees were put in power by a former previous king of Israel, right? And so they were kind of the ones that had all the money and the power. They were basically the government. We talked about this. They were the, like the president, the Supreme Court, and the House and the, Cong- the House and the Senate, all in one. They were kind of the entirety of that. And they were sort of also in charge of all the religious life. But the Pharisees were this minority group, right? They were kind of like the minority group within the group. They actually were closer to being in line with what Scripture actually said because the, the Sadducees were not, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in a second. But they were kind of a counterbalance to the, to the Sadducees, right? They were powerful enough that they had a little bit of sway over things, and this guy Gamaliel had a lot of sway. That's why he was able to say above the high priest, yo, we're going to stop this for a second because this is getting ugly. You guys get out of here, and everybody listened to him because he was highly respected. In Acts 22.3, you guys, we learned that Paul was a student of Gamaliel, So this guy was Paul's teacher. He was his rabbi. The Pharisees, like I said, were this minority in the religious world, but they balanced out the Sadducees in a lot of ways. The Pharisees believed in the core biblical doctrines of the resurrection, the existence of demons and angels. They believed that God was always sovereignly working in the affairs of the world. The Sadducees basically didn't believe in any of that. They didn't believe in any of that. The Sadducees pretty much we're like a lot of Christian denominations today that were humanists cloaked in religious garb and language. The Sadducees were essentially humanists or what we would call universalists today or a Baha'i faith person or a lot of other religious endeavors that people aim towards that will say, well, we should just all coexist. Well, man, I am the way, the truth, and listen, I was talking to my brother the other day and he was telling me about somebody he knows that's in the Baha'i faith, and the Baha'i faith is the most ridiculous thing. Do you guys know much about the Baha'i faith? So the Baha'i faith believes that all major world religions will all get you to God at the end of the day. And it's a circular temple that they worship in. And they have each like this one saying from the, the religious teacher from, that, from their religious book or from the, what the teacher said. And they have it on the wall. And then you worship all seven of them. Do you know what the one is for the Christian faith? John 14:6. I am the way, the truth, and the life No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm like, are you for real? (laughs) Ay, ay, ay. You guys, the Sadducees were essentially humanists cloaked in religious garb and language. It's what we see a lot happening today. We also know that Gamaliel was the grandson of Hillel. Have you guys ever heard of that name? A big name. Hillel the Elder was this highly respected religious leader that kind of began, started the most prominent school of religion, and they basically were the school that ended up writing the Mishnah, which is the oral traditions, right? So it's like not biblical text specifically, but within the Jewish world, these were all the oral traditions that were supposedly handed down from Moses on, right? Like this is all the oral stuff that they ended up finally codifying, writing down in this book called the Mishnah. Gamaliel in the Mishnah was referred to, you guys, as Rabban. So rabbi, rabbi was my teacher. Rabban was our teacher. Why am I telling you all this? I'm trying to give you guys a picture of who Gamaliel was and why he had the authority to stand up as the minority leader and say, hey, stop. Let's take a break. Do you guys get it? He was a big deal. He was a big deal. Verse 35. Says, and he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do to these men, or with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up, that's a different Judas, obviously, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or if this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice So Gamaliel gave this wise and worthy truth. Don't react based on your emotions. He's like, man, cool your jets. Slow down and think about what you're about to do. He used these two examples, you guys, of different cult leaders, essentially, that raised up and grabbed a small group of people. But whenever that cult leader died, the whole group was dispersed. We still see that stuff today, right? David Koresh, Jim Jones ones that we're probably not aware of yet that we'll find out later, unfortunately, because who knows what horrific thing will happen. But they're they're in existence today. We know that. We find these people all the time, but when it's of man, it goes away. It's not long-lasting. But he makes, again, this very important point. If this is from God, you ain't going to stop it. You're never going to stop it. No matter who you kill here on earth, it will not die. Furthermore, I love what he says. He says, man, if you keep doing this, and this is from the Lord, you're going to be standing against God himself. That's a terrifying place to be. You guys, I think, personally, since we're here reading this story thousands of years later, speaking about the same Jesus, telling people that he died for them, just like the, the apostles were, that he rose again to save them from their sins, I think it's pretty clear that this is from the Lord. Because we've got a lot of dead bodies piled up behind this thing. And we're probably going to have, well, I know we're going to have more, right? We read about it in Revelation, the tribulation saints. It's never going to die because it's the truth. Nothing's going to stop it. The name of the message today, you guys, is, is this. Is that all you got? Is that all you got? You guys ever, do you got like P.O.D.? Did you ever hear the band P.O.D.? I love that band. Payable on death, that's what it stands for. There's this Christian band, right? And they have a song called Boom. And the little bridge of that song says, is that all you got? I'll take your best shot. <clears throat> when I was studying, i went, like, yeah, come on! You guys, I feel like that's what we as a church need to get a hold of. Our, their best shot is Nothing. And compared, compared to the glory that awaits us, you guys, compared to the fact that we get to live our lives for Jesus, there's nothing anybody can do to us. Let's keep reading. I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 40. It says, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ, the Messiah, is Jesus. You guys, they heeded, the, right, the, the, the Sanhedrin, the, the Sadducees, heeded the words of Gamaliel to a point. They didn't kill him, but they did beat him. They did beat him. And I want us to get our head around this because, again, you guys know me. Anytime the Greek gives us a clear picture of what's actually happening, I try to bring it out because I think, unfortunately, we try to sanitize the language too much in the English a lot of times in the Bible because we're like, well, that's just not very kosher. Well, yeah, but then there's a level of like, you don't really get what happened. Yeah. What happened? The Greek word here that's used for beating is diro. It's better translated flayed. They flayed them, they beat them with a whip until their back was turned into hamburger meat. Sound familiar? It's the same word that Jesus had used whenever he was getting whipped. We know that the Jews would use 39 lashes, so that could be what happened. We don't know exactly. They would do two in the back, one in the front. They they were just beat up. They They were destroyed in their bodies. Phil Hughes, Philip Hughes, this theologian guy that I came across in my study... He said this, the beating they received stripped the skin off their backs. It was no soft option. People were known to die from it. Even if this was exceptional, it was meant to be a serious lesson to offenders. We need to get our head around these things, you guys. Because do you understand how that's a little different than getting punched in the mouth a few times and walking away and be like, man, that's great. I got a bloody lip for Jesus. This killed people. And what did they do? They walked away from it and they started crying about how God would let this happen to them. Nope, that's not what happened. They went away rejoicing. They were like, man, we were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. It didn't slow them down one step. They went right back to the thing that they were already doing every day in the temple, every day going house to house among the believers, every day teaching and preaching that Jesus was the long awaited Messiah. You guys, get a hold of this. Get a hold of it. I don't know about you. I'm tired of being the American church. I'm genuinely tired. I mean it. I'm tired of being... Like so many other churches that are just like, well, we did our chili cook-off and potluck. That was nice. When's the last time we've done outreach? We don't. Who's the last person we talked to about Jesus? I don't know. Guys. Guys too many churches that are like that. I don't want to be that church. And by the way, there are plenty of churches that aren't, and I praise God for that. I don't want you guys to ever hear from up here, like, we're the only one. No, we're not. We're by far not the only one, but I want to be one of the ones. I want to be one of the ones that's out there doing what God's actually called us to, going out into the world, telling people about Jesus, living our lives differently, being weird and peculiar people, not because we like being weird. I'm good at that on my own, but I want to do it because I want people to say, like, man, something is different about you. You're a little different. You're a little freaky. What is the deal? And I can be like, it's Jesus. Let me tell you about him. And I love that I get to all the time, you guys. I tell you guys all the time about my friend who's a voodoo priest down at Flight Coffee Shop. I am going to, woo! I want to see God get into his life, man. And he wants to always kind of pivot on me and try to argue around me and all that. And I'm like, man, it's all about Jesus. Like, let's talk about Jesus. I don't want to talk about tongues. Let's talk about Jesus. I don't care about Calvinism. Let's talk about Jesus. Jesus. I love those opportunities. I love them. And I love that he keeps wanting to engage me on them. And what was the opening? Tattoos. I love it. Let's do it. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's use whatever method or means God gives you to do it. Do it. Let's be a people that does this. And let's be people that are aware and not naive enough to believe that there will not be opposition coming our way if we do it. Mm -hmm. Guys, we need to expect it. Yes, if we get flayed, is it going to be hard to walk away rejoicing? I would imagine so. But I want to be a person that can do that. And how are you going to do that? In the power of the Spirit. You're not going to do it on your own. How else are you going to do it? By being a church together, one with another, lifting one another up. Amen? The big takeaway today, are we a church that's speaking and living like the church of Acts? Are we continuing steadfastly in the Word of God? I think we are. But can I say say this? If Sundays you're only helping of this, get in it more. Should be in it every day. Spend time in the Word. Fellowshiping. We do that pretty well. Let's keep doing it more. Breaking bread together. Sharing meals. Again, I think we do that well, but we need to do it more. Being people of prayer. Can I just challenge us as a church? We have prayer nights and not many people show up. I'm not worried about the butts and the seats. Here's what I'm worried about a heart of a church that says prayer is the most powerful, most God honoring thing we could ever do. Let's do it. I would love to see a church full of all of us, all 200 and plus of us coming together and seeking the Lord in prayer. What might God do? And guys, if we're doing all this in the flesh, it's all worthless. We got to be walking in the spirit. We okay? You okay? Okay, okay. You guys, here's the deal. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. It's all about Jesus. And as a church, we've been given this roadmap to follow him right here. And I think we just need to be doing it more and more and more. And as we do this, I think we can't be so naive to believe that we won't have opposition. But I'm going to leave us with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He had two quotes. <laughs> I wanted to put the second one on, but he was basically calling everyone a coward that doesn't <laughs> talk about Jesus. I was like, well, that's probably needed, but not necessarily today. So we're going to go with the first quote. It says, Now I charge every Christian here to be speaking boldly in Christ's name, according, according as he has opportunity, and especially to take care of this tendency of our flesh to be afraid, which leads practically to endeavors to get off easily, and to save ourselves from trouble. Fear not. Be brave for Christ. Live bravely for him who died, lovingly for you. I think it's a good charge for all of us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Man, Lord, we love you. We thank you, Father, for your word. And God, you are, you're it, Jesus. You are everything. Father, you gave your son to die and rise again so that we could have eternal life in you, Lord. And that eternal life begins at the moment we accept you, God. We get to walk it out with you, God. We get to grow in knowing you more and more, Father. And we have the wonderful privilege, God, of sharing the gift that you've given us with everybody else. Help us to be a church that does that, Lord. Help us, God, not to just sit and reside in our little nice easy chair, not to just walk around in our comfort, God, but to be a people that are genuinely more concerned about all of the people in this world, Lord, that don't know you yet than we are about what they're going to think of us or what they might say or do. Oh, God, change us. Holy Spirit, work in us. Light a fire inside of us. God, we need you. God, I am so sick. I'm so sick, God, of just playing church all the time. I pray, Father, that would not be us. Help us, Lord, to be a church that is just trying our best to seek your face and to walk it out with you. And I thank you that we are, God, but man, we are never done growing, not while we're still sucking air. So God, keep growing us up. Keep transforming us. Keep making us into a body of believers, Lord, that is about nothing more than seeing your kingdom just explode here in the seacoast. That's what we desire. Lord, if there be anyone that doesn't know you here today, God, I thank you, Father, for just the many people, Lord, that continue to show up week after week after week, Lord, even though they freely admit they don't get it, they don't understand it, they might not even agree with it. Oh, God, I pray, Father, that they would just be continually faithful to show up. And Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your word to to just penetrate their hearts. But God, I pray if that day is today, that they confess with their mouth and believe in their hearts that you are the Lord. God, that, that man, that would be awesome, God. Would you do that? Would you be with them, Lord? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Awaken Great Bay in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our church or need prayer for something in your life, Connect with us at awakengreatbay.com.